0: life, politics, parenting, and navigating the daily chaos. It's time for Politely Rude with Abby Johnson.
1: Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Politely Rude with Abby Johnson. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you're having a fantastic week. It is scorching here in Texas. It's like a hundred degrees today here in Texas I am burning up I don't think I could get any darker tint legally on my windows I wish I could in my car because I got in my car today and I think my skin melted to the leather in my seats It was so hot if I could install a sprinkler system in my car to cool me off I would um, but I am coming to you from my office once again in Texas and I'm so delighted to bring on our guest today. Um, we were supposed to be on last week. I had a little snafu with my computer, my computer, you know, the always trusty Apple computer actually went kaput last week. I, I couldn't even get the thing to turn on. And, um, I, I took it in and they said, well, you know, your hard drive just, it doesn't work anymore. And so I had to buy a new computer and, um, Thankfully, they were able to transfer the data, though that would have been a complete disaster. So now I'm I'm coming to you on a brand new computer, and that's exciting, um, sort of not exciting for my bank account, but um, exciting nevertheless. And I'm my guest today is Dr. Omar Hamada, and you know you may know him; he's been on Fox. Um, He's, you know, he's been all over the media. He's an ob a surgeon, and uh, you know he was in the military as well. And he did all kinds of cool stuff. He was like special ops, and he did all kinds of cool things for the military. I'm going to let you. I'm going to let let him tell that. But anyway, he had this this really cool uh, viral tweet. And we're going to talk about it. But the tweet went like this. It said, I want to clear something up so that there is absolutely no doubt. I am a board-certified ob who has delivered over 2,500 babies. There is not a single fetal or maternal condition that requires third trimester abortion. Not one. Delivery yes. Abortion no. That was such a a powerful statement, uh, a powerful truth bomb from Dr. Hamada. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thanks, Abby. Great to be here.
1: So tell us a little bit about your military experience because you have a pretty impressive uh, military career. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, I'll say um, it was probably the best decision I've ever made, including going to medical school. Um joining the special Forces in the us Army, uh, the Green Brays, and uh, spent about ten years with them, uh, about fourteen years total in the Army uh, on the reserve on the guard side. but it was it was a fantastic opportunity, learned a lot of leadership skills, uh, a lot of adventures, and uh, was honored to be able to serve that way.
1: Now, you know, what inspired you to write this this tweet? You know, was there something that happened? Was it surrounding what happened in New York? What, what, what was taking place that, that caused you to write this?
2: Exactly. So, let me give you the backstory. You're going to find this very interesting because I don't think you know this yet, Abby. My life was imploding. I mean, my, I ended up in a divorce. Um, my health just tanked because of all the stress involved with that. I had just come out of surgery a few days earlier and I was in bed recovering uh, after some major surgery. And I had the news on just you know sitting there watching Fox News and uh, Andrew Cuomo was the governor of New York was up there saying this is going to be the greatest um, you know abortion legislation in the history of the country and New York is leading the way and um, they removed if you you know as you remember they, they did three things with that they removed any fetal protections previous to that any um, fetal death in utero after 24 weeks. Um, could trigger homicide charges for that person responsible. Uh, Only physicians uh, could do abortions. And there were specific indications for abortions after a certain time period. I forgot what the New York code said at that point. But they removed all that. They said there's no longer a rationale for abortion. You can have abortion anytime you want all the way up to delivery at 40 weeks or longer. It doesn't have to be a doctor who does it. it Can be anybody who's certified, whatever that means. And there's no longer any fetal protections in New York. If a baby dies in utero, it's not really human. Um, so it doesn't matter. So that just made me so angry as an OB. I was like, and as a pro-lifer, I was, and as a Christian, I was like, that's, that's unconscionable. I mean, that, that's, that can't be. And I was pretty prolific on social media, at least on Facebook. And I didn't really tweet a lot. But I posted something on Facebook that was a little bit longer than that. And I thought, what the heck? Let me just cross-tweet it. So I tweeted it, shortened it a little bit so it would fit, and then went to sleep. I mean, I was worn out, recovering from surgery, and um, went to bed. The next morning, I woke up, and my phone had exploded. I mean, all these – it was like, what the heck? Um, and the next thing you know, within 48 hours, Fox News is calling, and you know, then it's off to the races for the next six months. Book, you know, Book deal and all that. Off a tweet. So that's what actually triggered that tweet. And I thought, you know, I want to keep it simple. I want to keep it authoritative. uh, And I want to keep it very factual because there is absolutely no reason to abort a child. There's no medical reason to abort a child in the second or third trimester of pregnancy at all, at all, regardless of what Jen Gunter or whoever else says. There's no reason.
1: Right. And that's what we hear all the time. I mean, that's what I hear all the time. I hear it all the time on Uh, you know, my Facebook page. I hear it on Twitter. I hear it in conversations. You know, even people who will concede to, uh, you know, incest and rape, right? They'll say, okay, yeah, I mean, you're right. Even even women who conceive in incest and rape, those are still babies. Those babies still deserve protection. But, you know, in those cases where the woman's going to die, I mean, Abortion should still be an option. And, you know, I always ask them, how do you think abortion in the third trimester is carried out? Do you think that they kill the baby and then the baby is removed from her womb by like fairy dust or like something? The woman still has to deliver that baby. Mm -hmm. She still has to go through a birth. That baby is still delivered from her body, usually intact. Um, she still has to go through labor and delivery. Most of the time she is pushing out that baby. It's not the abortion that saves her life. It is the delivery that saves her life. And so why not deliver the baby and give the baby a fighting chance at life and then give the mother a fighting chance at
2: life? precisely you're right on target and it's because you're right it's not the abortion it's the delivery that's the life-saving measure and it's all about intent if the intent is to save the life of the mother deliver if the intent is to kill the baby abort and that should never be our intent if we're really trying to take to um to protect the mom's life it's not about abortion it's about delivery and sometimes the baby will die in the process of birth or thereafter um, but our intent is not to kill the baby. Our intent is to deliver the baby, to get the mom pregnancy-free so she can have the best outcome.
1: And I'm sure you've had those situations. I oh, mean, yeah. as an ob general you've had situations where a mother has preeclampsia, Or, you know, there's some, I mean, uh, you know, pregnancy can create complicated situations for a woman. She has, you know, a heart disease or, you know, something um, that maybe makes uh, pregnancy more complicated for her. And I'm sure you've had situations where maybe you've had to deliver a baby earlier than 40 weeks or even 36 weeks, but you give that baby a fighting chance. Abortion never gives the baby a fighting chance, right. and and you know you give that child a fighting chance. You provide life saving measures for that child, right.
2: and that argument actually reveals their agenda. When they don't agree with that, I mean you can tell their agenda isn't really to save the mom's life. Their agenda is to expand the rights, supposedly, uh, for abortion all the way, like. Like uh, the governor of Virginia said at the time, who's a physician. And like Cuomo said at the time, um, they want to be able to abort without cause. um, They want to be able to abort all the way up to delivery. And even even after. Yeah. Even
1: after delivery. I mean, you know, that's what Governor Northam said. I mean, if a baby survives an abortion... Then you know they'll provide what comfort care or something until well, the baby dies. Know,
2: words I think were: if the baby survives abortion, then it's up to the doctor and the mother as to whether or not they want to kill the baby or or save the child.
1: Right. It's you know it's there's such a a a, a grave sickness in in our society and such a an obsession with. um with death mm-hmm. I mean the the fact that that anyone could look at a, a newborn infant and then make a decision whether or not that that helpless needy infant gets to live or die yeah. you know so many so many people are making decisions are they're really playing God in a sense
2: and ultimately the choice that they're wanting and trying to force us to make is to say that sexual freedom is greater, has has more import than the life of a child, that it's more important to have sexual freedom than it is to preserve life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's just a difference in worldview.
1: Oh, yeah. A hundred percent it is. A hundred percent. And we see that even in, I don't know, birth control commercials or just, I mean, just any commercial you see, you know, it's like, the idea of being a parent in today's society is seen as such a forlorn, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like, I would rather do anything but be a parent, right? Right. Right. (laughs)
0: Like
1: you are only carefree and happy if you are childless. And once you have a child your happiness ceases to exist.
2: Ultimately happy, isn't that just demonic? I mean, I, I see it as a spiritual battle because trying to essentially exterminate the human race and destroy the family, I mean, that's the ultimate agenda here. And we think that we're just exploring our own individual freedoms and happiness and rights, but what we're actually doing is destroying the very society that made us who we are.
1: Yeah. And that's what Satan wants to do. I mean, Satan wants to attack the family, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what he's doing through, you know, the LGBT agenda, right? Um, that's what he's doing through abortion. Now we even see—I'm sure you've seen it. There was a, 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 you know, some sort of crowdfunding effort to fund a book, a children's book on abortion. um, you know, trying to, uh, normalize abortion for small children. There's already a book that's even out and it makes, I can't remember the name of the book, but it it says something, uh, where there's a, a child in the book and the child's talking to the father and the father says something about you know, well, your mother got pregnant before you. And, you know, are you sad that your mother didn't have, you know, your brother or sister? And the child says, no, I'm not sad because if mother would have had, you know, my brother or sister, then she would be sad and stressed all the time. And, you know, I mean, it's terrible. And this is a children's book that's, that's already out. And so, you know, trying to normalize abortion to small children. And then this, you know, crowdfunding book that, I mean, I think they did raise enough money uh, to get this book published and and on the shelves. And, you know, meanwhile, it's, you know, people are hard pressed to find pro-life books in their public library, you know, or they can't get those on the shelves. But that's that's really just the demonic road that our society has gone down. And you know, you go into libraries now, and and even in our public schools, um, my friend pulled her children out of school because simply because in her child's kindergarten classroom, the teacher was reading her child books about a little boy that liked to wear a dress. Wow. And, you know, this is what, this is what the enemy is trying to do. The enemy is trying to attack our children. And that's what I've been saying, you know, for years is that, you know, our minds are made up, right? The enemy is not trying to go after us. The enemy is going after our children. Right. And, and that's what I, I also wanted to talk to you about this because you've sort of become, you know, an expert on critical race theory, you've been talked to a lot, you know, about with the media uh, about CRT. And that's something that is really coming up the road. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's here, really, yeah. in in schools. Um, tell us, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who may be listening who just really don't understand maybe what critical race theory is. They may not understand how that's been moving into our schools, how it's already sort of taken root in some of our schools and, and just really what it is and why it's so dangerous.
2: You know, ultimately, I think it's dangerous because it, again, makes human life worthless. You know, we believe as Christians that we were created in the image of God and there's no race, creed, gender, whatever. You know, we're all equal in God's eyes. Critical race theory basically says you're just guilty simply because of the color of your skin. You don't really have any choice. You know, we believe in original sin in, Christian, sure. in, in Christianity, but now original sin isn't because of our heart condition, it's because of our skin color. And what they're trying to perpetuate is that everyone who's white, whether they believe it or not, or think it or not, or are racist or not, is actually racist and is actually guilty for subjugating the black race here in the United States. And most of my black friends don't even believe it. But it's just a a segment um, of people that I think are actually trying to destroy our American way of life and our society and our culture by creating dissension and division, um, shaming. I I just saw a letter today that was sent uh, to a lot of white neighborhoods in the Dallas area That was shaming them for being white and for their privilege and trying to make them promise they would not send their children to a top 50 school, to an Ivy League school, uh, to private schools, any of that. And instead, um, avoid those so that um, because otherwise they'd be taking um, they'd be taking advantage of their white privilege and and succeeding in society when they should be actually just going away and not becoming successful to pay for their white skin or whatever. So it's, it's a very destructive social it, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. No, that's crazy. And it's destroying our kids because it's making our children feel guilty simply because of who they are. They were born. Now all of a sudden they're guilty for being born and for being born in a way that they can't even, that they had no control over. So they're being shamed and, uh, psychologically damaged. It's abusive, actually. And it's starting in kindergarten.
1: So how does this, you know, how does this then, how is this implemented into schools? Is it in the curriculum? Is it in the books they read? You know, how how is it sort of implemented into schools?
2: Yes, all of the above in the curriculum. Teachers teach it, and they keep telling the students that if they are white, that they are guilty and they should be ashamed because of what they've done to damage others. Um, it's in the books they read. They read stories that are age-appropriate stories that have that message uh, being perpetuated. And you know, and they're they're gullible. They're going to believe what they're told, especially if they go home and their families uh, perpetuate that myth as well. And then it's in the assignments that they're forced to complete. You know, they have to write certain things that uh, basically reiterate or regurgitate these lessons they're being taught in school and these lessons they're reading in their books.
1: I read a story about. um, uh, It was a story from a mom whose little girl. She's in first grade, and she came home from school in the spring, and she was she was crying, and her mom was like, "You know what's going on?" She thought you know, she had been bullied or, you know, picked on, you know, by another child by one of her peers. And, um, the little girl was just weeping and she said that she was so upset because she was white and the mom was so taken aback and said, You know, and and the little girl was like, I'm just, I'm wrong because I'm white. And the mom was like, wait a minute, what, who told you that? You know, who said that you were wrong because you're white? And she said, my teacher, my teacher told me that, you know, I was born wrong. Wow. Wow. And I just thought, okay, wait a minute. Like, wait a minute. Okay. We are living in a society where... Liberals are shoving it down our throats mm-hmm. that you are born the right way. Any way you're born, okay? So if you're born gay, if you're born transgender, if you're born yeah. with like 15 noses on your head, like what however you're born, you were born the right way. Right? But if you're right. born white, yeah. You were born guilty. Yeah. You were born yeah. wrong. Wow. And I thought, wait, that's, that is such a hypocritical message to be giving to our kids. It's such a hypocritical message of their entire agenda. Mm-hmm. So you can be born gay and be right, but if you're born white, you're wrong.
2: So you can see, this progressive agenda is very destructive, and everything they touch is destructive. They're not trying to build anything; they're destroying the very foundations of society, of families, of humanity, um, for the sake of who knows what. I guess overt control someday, um, where we just subjugate ourselves and say whatever our overlords tell us, we're going to do. But um, it's it's incredibly destructive, and I hope that the American population are now finally seeing through it and from what i'm hearing more and more people are actually standing up against it even on the liberal side saying wait a minute this is crazy not just crt but whether it, you know from economics to migration to radicalized abortion rights to all this i mean people are saying enough you know this is this is way too far
0: you're listening to the edify podcast network we'll be right back Welcome back.
1: I think one thing that has really uh, sort of woken a lot of people up just in the past, I don't know, maybe 6 months, maybe longer, right? maybe shorter, I don't know. But I think that this whole COVID debacle has has really opened a lot of eyes. No, I'm not. De- I'm not denying that COVID is real. I, I know people who have had COVID. Some of my best friends have had COVID. I know people who have died of COVID. I'm not saying it's not real, but what I do know to be true is that the fear mongering surrounding COVID is really out of control. For instance, I I live in uh, Williamson County here in Texas. I live in Williamson
2: County in Tennessee.
1: Wow. Well, there you yeah, go. So, That's
2: great.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um they just put us on red alert, COVID red alert. And so I thought, oh, that sounds that sounds bad, right? So they they, you know, it was big, big on the news, big alert, you know, that we were put back on red alert. And so I thought, oh, okay. And they said, you know, it was an uncontrolled spread of COVID here in Williamson County. And so I thought, well that sounds serious. You know, that sounds like gosh, a whole lot of people are are getting covid again, you know, and I thought, man, I better hospital beds are really full again and a lot of people are probably dying. So then I clicked the actual article. I clicked beyond the headline, right? Beyond this alert right. Headline. I looked at the article. So, what the article actually said is that the infection rate was fourteen out of one hundred thousand. Wow,
2: you're people. kidding!
1: <laughs> fourteen out of hundred thousand.
2: No, that's a pandemic.
1: Yeah, the hospitalization rate was four percent. Wow,
2: what's well, a standard four to five percent?
1: The yeah, and the people getting COVID were between the ages of 18 and 50. So I thought, you know, but if people only read the headline, they would think, "Oh my gosh, we better stay in the house. This is getting serious again, right?" I mean, everybody is getting COVID again. I mean, this is really scary. Mm-hmm. But I thought the media is betting that people are only going to read the headlines. That's why they that's why they create this clickbait, yeah. right but I think and CNN even admitted it. I mean that's what you know Project Veritas put out this this whole thing with CNN that you know the fear that's what gets their ratings up yeah. that's why they write it the way that they do. but you know, you're a doctor, you understand covid better than than most of us. you know what what has been your thoughts during this whole pandemic during? you know, all of this that has taken place. I mean, what, what has sort of been, I mean, what, what have you been thinking during this whole thing?
2: So let me break that into three parts. One, uh, you know, I think news today no longer informs news, right. generates fear and division. Um, and the media, that is, I mean, it's all about money and viewership and you know, advertisers. And it's no longer about informing the populace. It's about creating division and fear. The other thing you said about people just reading titles, it's true. I mean, on social media, we see it. You post something with a great article, and people just trigger off the title and don't even bother to read what's in the article. So with COVID, I mean, yes, it is a real disease. And yes, it has killed almost 4 million people worldwide. Um, When we look at actual death rates, from what I'm seeing, there's not really been a spike in a larger number of people dying per year. There's been a change in how people have been dying per year, so the same number overall, roughly speaking, are dying. It's just now more people are dying of COVID than, say, cancer or heart disease than they were than there were two years ago. Um, but the death rates really haven't changed that much. Um, is COVID deadly? Yes, it has the potential to be deadly. We say 80% of people that get infected have minimal to no symptoms. I mean. I got it. I ended up with three days of a stuffy nose and lost uh, uh, taste and smell for three days. Um, Had a little bit of a cough, and that was it. Um, 80% of people are going to have minimal to no symptoms. I'd say 15% of people have pretty serious COVID, but they don't require hospitalization. You know, they stay home. They feel like a Mack truck hit them. They have a lot of fever. They can't get out of bed. They sleep for 48 hours straight. You know, they're, they're having trouble breathing, but they make it without going into the hospital probably 5% of people will end up hospitalized. And many of them end up in the ICU on supplemental oxygen, whether it's like CPAP or high flow oxygen, and a very small number get intubated, relatively speaking. Um, I mean, it's a high number to us who are working in the hospitals, seeing these masses of people coming in with COVID, because you know, you take 300 million people, and um, you're going to end up with you know relatively high numbers. But when we look at it uh, in terms of Uh, relatively entire population, uh, they're small numbers. Um, And then about a 0.6% fatality rate, which actually is quite minimal and less than um, uh, what we're seeing with those people who actually get flu influenza. So, you know, is it a serious disease? Yes, it has potential to be. And there are risk factors that predispose someone to uh, worse disease, you know, obesity, older age, uh, the chronic diseases, uh, especially respiratory things like that. Now, uh, but what we're seeing is we now have better ways of treating it with supportive care, with oxygen, with supplements that you know the government tries to get us to avoid for some reason, which I don't understand. From high dose vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, aspirin, steroids, um, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine—they work, and we know they work. And other countries have demonstrated they work and done studies, but for some reason here, because Trump said it. Now, you know, it's a huge danger and nobody should touch it. But they work. So is the risk real? Yes. Should we be careful? Of course. Um, Is it as um, bad as what the media is trying to get us to believe? No, not at all. Not at all.
1: What I mean, okay. so help me understand this. So we have essentially the same death rate as we would usually have any other year, right? That's what you're saying. Yep. But that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me (laughs) because you would think that if we had lost, how many people do you say we've lost in the United States to COVID?
2: It's been, I forgot the actual numbers. Let's say 200,000, 250,000. Okay, so let's
1: say we've had 200,000. Let's say we lost 200,000 people in 2020. We usually have, let's say, two hundred thousand people die a year, but we lost 200. You would think that we would have four hundred thousand losses. Yeah, but you're saying the death rate stayed the same, right? So,
2: so I mean, there's still any- people dying of other diseases, so the death rate's a lot higher than that. But the total death rate, let I've, I don't know what the actual numbers. I'd have to look it up, and it's easy to find on the internet. But let's just say it's you know a million people this year die in the United States. Two hundred thousand of them. Roughly speaking, were from COVID. In the past, there was no COVID. A million people would still die, but those two hundred thousand would have died from diabetes or a heart attack or cancer or stroke or or what you know what happened. I mean, Accidents. do you
1: think that some of these people that are dying of COVID? Do you think that some of them possibly maybe they were terminal cancer patients, and they, you know, were in the final stages of their life, and then they contracted COVID, and they died. So, you know, they're they're counting it as a COVID death, but really they died of, of cancer. Right. I so mean, do young. you think that's... There's a yeah. sort of a possible like crossover there, but sort of feeding the numbers.
2: For sure. There are certainly people that are otherwise healthy. I mean, I've got friends who are healthy and they do well. Sure. You know, in life, they're not they don't have chronic disease, who get COVID and who have died or who are in serious condition in the hospitals. Um, and I see people like that every single day. But early on, especially, there were people who were presumed to have COVID. We didn't have the tests out yet. We didn't really know whether or not they were COVID positive. We just presumed anybody who came in had COVID. So they were listed as dying of COVID when perhaps it was more like they were dying with COVID, but not really, the the cause of death wasn't really COVID. Uh, It may have pushed them over the edge, but, um, but again, it was presumptive in the early days. Now we have pretty accurate tests that are rapid. So we can tell pretty precisely who has it and who doesn't. Um, so the numbers are a lot more accurate today than they were a year ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to like dying with COVID. Right. Yeah, instead of dying of COVID. Yeah, yeah, it's inter- It's been interesting to me how treatment has been withheld. I'm, I I saw a uh, a study come out. They were saying that uh, about eighty percent of people the study had found that had contracted COVID were deficient in vitamin D. Um, And then of course, you know, obesity plays a, a part in that. And, and so, you know, it's been interesting to me though, how a lot of this has been sort of suppressed. A lot of this information has been suppressed from the American public. The, the mainstream media is not reporting on this. I mean, to me, it seems like, what the, what the mainstream media should be reporting is, look, get your diet in order. Start taking supplemental vitamin D. Take a multivitamin every day. You know, <laughs> make sure you're keeping yourself healthy, right? Um, you know, I know my husband and I, when, you know, when COVID started, we were already like in the gym sort of on this like health kick anyway, right? And so, you know, one of the things that we did was, you know, we really started eating right and we, had this garden things we were like eating salad every day and I lost 40 pounds and awesome. we started taking vitamin D every day and you know we take zinc and we take vitamin C and so we started doing the preventative things right to prevent getting covid and then at least if we got it, it maybe it would be you know lesser case of it right yeah. and to this day you know and my goodness I go in crowds I mean I've been in crowds of a million people with not not a mask in sight, right? And people breathing on me and all this. I have yet to get COVID. I have eight children who are disgusting, right? They're like in germs all the time, like licking the floor, chewing gum from underneath desk. I mean, they're gross, right? right. None of us have gotten COVID, but we all take care of ourselves. We, you know, we're all very active. And I, I think there has to be something to that, right? I mean- you know, do, do what you need to be doing. Wash your hands regularly. You have, you know, I'm sure you're, you take care of yourself. You're a healthy person. You had a very, you know, sort of light case of, of COVID, you know, it it, it just feels like the media is sort of like keeping these things from us. It's like, they want it to be terrible for people.
2: Yeah.
1: They want it to be the worst case scenario for everybody it's like they want everybody to get a vent that's how it feels (laughs) to
2: me (laughs) or immunization and you know i got immunized um and that's a whole nother topic but if you look at you know who's profiting from it i mean these companies are making literally billions of dollars now there's news from israel today that i just saw that says instead of the 95 percent efficacy that pfizer and moderna are quoting or have quoted in the past they're actually seeing efficacy rates anywhere from 16 to 40%. So equivalent to like a flu shot. Um, But now what Pfizer's saying, well, you know, because of that, now we're going to need to start giving boosters.
0: So it's like an
2: endless, um, you know, uh, economic funnel for them, which I I don't want to say, I mean, these immunizations, whether or not they're actually immunizations. So technically, medically speaking, you can't really classify it as an immunization. In other words, transferring an antigen into the body directly. It's it's a code that your body transcribes and produces antigen, at least for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Um, But there is some efficacy and they do help prevent disease and they do work. There's a lot of other things we don't know about, you know, long-term efficacy. We don't know about long-term chronic disease states that can result. We don't know about long-term complications that can result. There's thoughts of, you know, infertility and in, in younger people, their thoughts of uh, blood clots and you know, older people. And I've seen some of those. Um, mm-hmm. But if you weigh all risks out, you know, I think it's age dependent. I say, you know, right. okay. under 40. Well, and that's what
1: people have yeah. to look at. They, they have yeah. to look at their risk factors. They have to, yeah, they have to look at that. Yeah. And that's what people were saying. They were like, no, it's just a one-time thing. I'm like, I'm telling you right now, It is not going to be a one-time thing. Anything that has to deal with big pharma, anything that has to deal with this, this sort of industry, this is going to be a funnel for them. This is going to be nonstop. It is going to be like the flu vaccine. You know they're going to want you to get a booster. They're going to want, and and we've already seen that with the Delta variant coming out. Yeah. This is going to mutate. It's going to turn into something else, and then that's gonna that strain's gonna multi, You know, I mean, it's going to mutate. I'm not a scientist. I don't know about all this kind of stuff, but that's exactly what happened with uh with the flu, and you're going to have to keep getting inoculated and inoculated year after year because there's going to be more strains coming out. And I mean, and it just, it's just more money, more money, more money for them. And I'm not saying there's no efficacy. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm just right. saying there's the money. <laughs> money, follow the money. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, so I, I did, there was one question I didn't ask you about the CRT. What, what do you, you know, it, this, of course, is is coming into our public schools. I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, do you believe there's a risk also for private schools? Uh, you know, for CRT to creep its way into private schools. Sure, there is, and
2: I've, I believe that. You know, with I don't know how to say this politically correctly, but with <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> not on right? this show. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> um, Liberalism, I think, is a cancer. And yeah. this progressive ideology that is destructive and whittling away at our very foundations is going to find its way into everything. The church, which we've already seen, private yeah. schools, which we are seeing. Um, so the only way we can really resist is to educate ourselves, educate our children. Education starts at home. Insist and don't stop insisting that our schools represent family, val- parental values, not governmental or societal or political values, that the schools are a mirror of the home, not a mirror of the halls of academia or or DC or whatever. Um, And teachers should be teaching what parents want them to teach, not what the government dictates. At least here in America, that should be the idea.
1: Yeah. And what's something that you encourage parents to do? Like, how can they get active? What do you, what's a step that you encourage parents to take to really sort of head this
2: off? If your schools are supporting this evil philosophy, turn over the school board. Get people on the school board that are conservative. Get people on the school board that think correctly and rationally. Get people on the school board that support the family and society and healthy relationships not uh, these destructive ideologies that will take apart our country.
1: And maybe they need to get on the school board.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, mean, we need good
1: people running for office,
2: getting on school boards. That's so important. I mean, at some point we need to stand up and say, you know what? Nobody else is going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I think we need to get personally involved, not just fund other people to get involved, but if we really believe this and if we really believe that it's going to destroy our country and our society and our churches and our homes and our schools and our children, we need to be the ones to actually step up and and get active and take care of it.
1: Well, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your voice. And I'm, I'm thankful that while you were recovering, you decided to write that tweet uh, <laughs> that ended up seriously. going viral. Yeah. Um, and you have four children and your children are, are, do you have some children still in grade school or
2: younger grades? So I've got uh rising seventh grader, 10th, 12th, and then a senior in college.
1: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, I mean, you know, you're still
2: yeah.
1: fighting this in schools and protecting your kids and
2: okay, every day.
1: Yeah. That's every awesome. So,
2: I mean, you know, cause they absolutely. hear stuff on TV from their friends in school. But it starts at home with us, you know, with you know me saying, "What are you learning? What are you hearing? What do you think? What do you believe?" And here's what right. I believe, and here's why.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now you you talked about um, a book deal. So have you have you written a book? Is the what what's the status on that?
2: So it was due a year ago. My agent <laughs> is actually right there with you in Austin, Texas, uh, okay. Esther Fedorovich at the Fed Agency. Uh, she's fantastic. Um, and, um, she's been very patient with me. So I've got my outline done. She would love to hear this. She hasn't heard it yet. My outline's done. I'm trying to get the proposal finished and to her, um, but I'm a year overdue. She's, um, so it started off being about abortion, but Mm -hmm. really it's going to cover all issues of life with regards to abortion, physician assisted suicide, euthanasia, Mm -hmm. and then even these issues of slavery. And uh, genocide and and murder, you know, just any anything to do with human life. Um, yeah. And I've broken it apart in several different sections. I'm excited about. It. I think it's going to be a, a crazy good book.
1: That's awesome. Well, I know about being late on uh, proposals. <laughs> My publishers have always been very uh, patient with me as well. <laughs> so. yeah. definitely understand it's hard it's hard to get that kind of stuff together especially when you have kids and a job it's just it's hard um you have to really find the space you know to like get mentally in that space to write and get your thoughts together so it's hard well thank you so much people can be looking they can be on the lookout for that then for your book to come out, thank you so much for for coming on and and sharing all your all your wisdom and um thank you just for your voice. I mean, I know that you know it it has to feel sometimes um lonely in this country to be a physician and have the the outspoken conservative opinions that you do. And so I just want to thank you for um for doing that and being bold enough to share those.
2: You're so welcome. And thank you to you too. I mean, you know it. You, you face so much backlash from Planned Parenthood and so much of the left. And I think it takes people like you, people like me, people like other folks, I mean, to stand up and be an example to empower and encourage others to do the same. Because yeah. we have, a, if we all bond, bonded together, there's no way that, um, any of this would happen. but I think people are pushed back because of fear, fear of being labeled, fear of being yeah. called names, fear of losing their jobs. But you know, the Lord is powerful and takes care of us and uh, and it's important work.
1: Yeah, and you know, I tell people all the time, look, in the end, we really just have to worry about an audience of one. and you know, that's Jesus Christ, our Creator. And exactly. uh, as long as I'm pleasing him, then the rest of the world doesn't really matter, right? So, um, well, thank you, Dr. Ramada. Thank you for coming on Politely Rude. Thank you to all of you for listening. And uh, I'll be with you in a couple of days for my commentary show. And I hope you all have a great week. Stay safe out there. Be bold about your witness for Jesus Christ. And we will talk with you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to Politely Rude with Abby Johnson on the Edify Podcast Network. Tune in next time for another powerful exploration of life, politics, parenting, and tips for navigating the daily chaos. And for more faith-inspiring podcasts, download the Edify Podcast app on the Apple and Google Play stores or at edify.app.